It is, in fact, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Good morning, and Happy New Year to each and every one of you. It is so nice to be here. It's really an honor to be the New Year's Day sermon giver. The the scripture for this morning is taken from Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 33. Luke says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see that if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Wouldn't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000 men? If he is not able, he'll send a delegation while the other one is still a long way away and we'll ask for terms of peace. Think about these words and their wisdom. First, a little personal history. When I was much younger, which may be hard to imagine, my mother gave me a, a three, little three by seven inch poem framed. And the illustration was a Native American standing in his loincloth by a pond, and there was a canoe. The author really wasn't important to me, but the words were so important to me, and they've, they've stayed with me for all these years. The poem is called Look to This Day. Some of you may know it, but if you don't, I'll read it. Look to this day. For it is life, the very life of life. In its brief course lies all of the verities and realities of your existence. The bliss of growth, the glory of action, the splendor of achievement are all experiences of time. For yesterday is but a dream. And tomorrow is only a vision. Today well lived makes every yesterday a dream of happiness and every tomorrow a vision of hope. Look well, therefore, to this day. Such is the salutation to the ever new dawn. Now, I read this poem frequently. Matter of fact, I don't really see it as a poem. It's really a mantra. And every time I read it, I find it, it somehow takes on new meaning. There's something in there that I either didn't see or didn't pay attention to or whatever. I really like the idea of the, the phrase that says, today well lived. That has become as relevant in my life today as it was in all of my yesterdays, and I'm sure it's going to be the same thing in all of my tomorrows. And as we used to say in an earlier profession of mine, this is an evergreen. It never drops its leaves. It's always in full bloom. Today, of course, is the first day of the new year. 
And like so many of you, I've given more than a little time thinking about how I'm going to spend the coming year. What I'll do, or at least attempt to do, and what I must do to make myself a better me. Now, some folks call these things resolutions, a laundry list of hoped-for changes. And in the past, there was a, a certain predictability of the year to come. You know, years morphed into years, morphed into years. We really didn't have any exciting things to look forward to, and life was good. Or at least there was the appearance of, of predictability that we could rely on. I don't hear much about resolutions these days. Now, historically, my resolutions, my own personal resolutions, have generally been very laudable, but unpractical. Well-intended, but unrealistic. That's just me being honest. It took me a long time to realize that whatever I accomplished throughout the year could only be accomplished one task at a time, one day at a time. And for all of us, that one day is today. Now, that's been a hard lesson for me to learn, and I'm still learning it. I should also mention that this isn't the sermon that I was planning on giving this morning. I wrote most of it on Wednesday, and Thursday morning I woke up and I read an essay, a guest essay, in the New York Times. The title of the essay was, Why Bother to Make Resolutions If We Don't Keep Them? I knew right then and there that I had to change horses midstream. The essay's author, a gentleman by the name of Grant Kaiser, who's a contributing editor at Harper's Magazine, uses Samuel Johnson, the uh, well-known, famous English uh, 18th century writer, as his role model for this subject. Mr. Kaiser writes, if resolutions ever wanted a patron saint, they could do worse than Samuel Johnson, a lifelong resolver, and by his own admission, a lifelong failure at keeping his resolutions. Knowing that he was a failure at keeping resolutions, Johnson made one resolution that he never had to worry about keeping. He kept on making resolutions. Mr. Kaiser goes on in his commentary, he says, after so many failed attempts, why even bother? Is there a person who hasn't faced another year, another birthday, by asking the same question? Well, Samuel Johnson asked himself the same question when he was 65 years old, and that was in 1775. He asked the same question, why bother? And this is what he said. When I look back on resolutions of improvement and amendments, which year after year have been made and broken, either by negligence, forgetfulness, vicious idleness, casual interruption, or morbid infirmity, when I find that so much of my life has stolen unprofitably away and that I can decry by retrospection scarcely a few single days properly and vigorously employed, why do I yet try to resolve again? His answer is, 
I try because reformation is necessary and despair is criminal. I try in humble hope of the help of God. That's what Samuel Johnson said. And like Samuel Johnson and Mr. Kaiser, I will follow Samuel Johnson's example and advice and continue to make resolutions humbly and optimistically with no guaranteed result. Now, I also realize that I have fewer days ahead of me than I have behind me. And that the time ahead of me is not an open book. My book has a front cover, but it also has a back cover. And I am right now in my later chapters, where every page, every day, every resolution that I think about really counts. And I know that it's more important now that, more important now than ever, that I take up the pen deliberately, filling the remaining pages in my book, and choose whatever resolutions I care to make carefully and intentionally. If my pages are to be deliberate, then they have to be thoughtful and considerate. If they're to be deliberate, they have to provide a reasonably easy-to-follow roadmap outlining where I am now and where I hope to be then. They have to take into account all of the myriad of obstacles that might suddenly appear in the road ahead and then give me advice on how to get around them. These days, we all seem to take for granted that Internet applications like Google Maps and Waze will help us get from A to B in the shortest, most efficient possible time, analyzing real-time traffic conditions along the way. You count on that. Now, if I stray from the prescribed path of my life, I expect Google to nudge me back on course. And traffic, if traffic conditions change after I've set out, as they sometimes do, I hope that Google will proactively reroute me in mid-journey. Be prepared, it says. If only life, if only life came with this kind of an app, wouldn't that be wonderful? An app that would alert me to the consequences of my wrong terms, nudging me back on course when needed. But without this, this app, this miracle app, I need to have a plan. But it has to be a plan only for today. And like most journeys, this plan has to have a destination. It has, to have a, it has to have a goal. I have to worry about today. In Matthew 6, verse 34, I learned that Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Worry about today. Don't worry about tomorrow. I've also learned that the road to success in almost any endeavor is through thoughtful and careful and considered planning. Most of my planning came up in my professional life because in that life at least, 
there was always a boss with a yardstick or a scale measuring the degree or weight of my accomplishments as against my plans. Planning in my personal life generally took second or third or fourth place in all the other things I had to do or wanted to do. My list of priorities, priorities which were too often shaped by external forces far beyond my control. In this morning's scripture in Luke, we, we learn something of the wisdom of planning ahead. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000 men? Neither of these instances you want to be surprised. We don't like surprises. Surprises throw us off. But life is always going to be full of surprises, whether we like it or not. And while it is impossible, I think, to plan against specific surprises, it's best to be prepared when and if a surprise happens our way. And our job is to minimize the impact of these surprises, keep it to a minimum, less harm done the better, as best we can. Now notice I didn't say that we, we do it as quickly as we possibly can, because sometimes thoroughness can't be measured with a clock or a yardstick. Now we all remember major accidents and their resulting crises when lack of planning or inadequate planning made disastrous situations worse. Accidents happen. They seem to be an, an inevitable part of our life. And we may not be able to avoid all accidents, but we can have a thorough and well-considered post-accident response plan. Some of us, of us remember the Union Carbide accident in Bhopal, India, where 3,000 people were killed and 15,000 people were injured. Let me address another kind of inadequate planning. And this may be a little more familiar. It's a term called failure of imagination. Failure of imagination is a, is a phrase indicating a circumstance wherein something undesirable yet predictable, undesirable yet predictable happened and it wasn't planned for. Failure of imagination was cited by the 2011 Commission, remember that, and other government officials as a missing ingredient in planning that may well have prevented the September 11th attacks. Now I go back to this thing, undesirable yet predictable. The January 6th insurrection at the US Capitol has been frequently cited as a failure of imagination. No one could, no one did imagine the storming of our nation's citadel of liberty by its own citizenry. No one imagined that, and they were unprepared. Pandemic, pandemic planning 
we're all familiar with that because we're all going through it right now. Few foresaw the depth and breadth of supply chain problems that came up with that, that followed the COVID lockdowns and the workforce interruptions. Now the Stoic philosophers tell us that there are some things that are well beyond our control, well beyond our control, and that they shouldn't even appear on our to, to worry about list today. But how about the crises we might experience in our own homes? Is it possible that we should each have a personal crisis management plan? Years ago, one of my nephews ran through a plate glass door at our home with a resulting major gash in his forehead. There was blood everywhere. And I, head of the household, almost panicked. I didn't know where the closest hospital was. And because I didn't know where the closest hospital was, I had no idea how to get there. I didn't know the fastest and safest route. And that was poor planning. In other circumstances, not only could it have been poor planning, it could have been negligence. Well, it won't happen to me, you say. Not in my backyard. But the question is, can we suffer a failure of imagination in our own personal lives? And I think the answer has to be yes. I go back to the poem, Look to This Day, that I read earlier, and the lines, and today well lived makes yesterday a dream of happiness and every tomorrow a vision of hope. And the price of happiness, the price of hope is a small one. All we have to do is live today as best we can. There are 365 days to every year. You know that as well as I do. So I'm always going to be living in today, whether I like it or not. And the idea that we should live in this day is endorsed by many folks from many different backgrounds and many different faiths. So that this is where I get to bring in other people's wisdom. Thich Nhat Hanh, who is Paul Whitmore's mentor, tells us that only the present moment is real and available to us. The peace we desire is not in some distant future, but is something we can realize in the present moment. And Han's present moment is today. The Dalai Lama said, things change moment to moment. Things are impertinent, impermanent. We worry over the past, we anticipate the future, and we barely perceive a shred of the passing moment. Well, being a smart aleck, I paraphrase the Dalai Lama's wisdom into a phrase that says, if we spend too much time in the past, or we spend too much time in the future, we have too little time to enjoy the present. The Stoic philosopher Marcus Aurelius wrote, if you separate from everything you have done in the past and everything that disturbs you about the future, and you apply yourself to living the life that you're living, that is to say, the present, you can live all the time that remains to you until your death. Live it in calm, benevolence, and serenity. I sort of like that idea. 
calm, benevolence, and serenity. Now, while I'm a champion of long-term planning and its benefits, I'm also enough of a realist to admit that my support of the Newtonian principle a body at rest tends to stay at rest becomes if I have nothing to do, that's what I'll do, nothing. In other words, I need a deliberate daily plan. I need a to-do list. I need a to-do today list. Let me, slip, let me slip one caveat in here before I go on. There is a time to stop planning and start doing. To stop admiring the plan that you spent so much time crafting and start putting words into action. Because a plan is only a roadmap. It'll tell you where you are and where you want to go and give you hints, just like Google Maps, on how to get there. But the bottom line is that you and I have to execute the plan. We have to follow the plan. We have to drive the car so that the passenger can enjoy the scenery. So planning is only the beginning. It's not and cannot be an end in, to, to itself. Our daily plan is one part of a much larger and much more magnificent mosaic of our lives. We have to take into account in our plans calendar events like birthdays and anniversaries and meetings that we have to attend. There are some must do or die projects that we have to account for, appointments and phone calls and a whole litany of other things. And we might even wanna have a little space at the bottom where we can jot down things that we have to think about and contemplate tomorrow. And if there's a time to stop planning and start doing, there's also a time to plan and a time not to plan. Planning while you have, you already have too many balls in the air really isn't a good idea. Stressing a mind on overload has been proved to be a barrier to successful planning. Productive planning is therefore best done under stress-free conditions with a fresh rested mind. Likewise, there's a, stop, there's a time to stop planning and stop doing and just sit back and enjoy the view. Just sit back and smell the roses. Take a few minutes to be aware of the miracle that you see around you everywhere. Take time to gather strength. And then there's the wisdom of the Psalms. We're all familiar with this one. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, if, if, this, if, if this in fact is the day the Lord has made, how dare I squander a moment of this new dawn? Bottom line, it's all about today. We don't have a yesterday. It's already gone. And everybody will tell you that we can't rewrite history, although some people try. Tomorrow hasn't come yet, so tomorrow's only a blank page, and it's up to us to fill it in. We only have today, and our job is to make the most of the today that we have. 
I was going to read a poem by Mary Oliver, but it's a little too long, so I chose another poem that's a little too long. So I'm only going to read the first five, the first four stanzas and the last stanza. It's a poem by Patricia Fleming, and it sort of speaks to where we are. It says, live in the moment, just take it all in. Pay attention to everything right there and then. Don't let your mind wander to what's coming next. Cherish this moment and give it your best. Don't let tomorrow make you rush through today or too many great moments will just go to waste. Laugh till it hurts. Let the tears drop. Fill each moment with all that you've got. And then the last, the last answer, which I just really love. Life is just moments so precious and few, whether valued or squandered, it's all up to you. Amen and Happy New Year.